We saw last week in our studies in the life and times of David that the third psalm shows David's worshipful response in the trial of Absalom's conspiracy and rebellion. Absalom conspires to turn and overthrow David from the rightful place as king, and that trial was a tremendous burden in David's life. It was a rebellion, of course, in which David's close counselor, Ahithophel, was involved. You turn back to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 15, and you'll see there, in the words of the text, how David responds when Ahithophel is involved and mentioned to him. In 2 Samuel 15, verse number 13, And one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. We noted that one of Absalom's schemes was to take Ahithophel out of the counsel of David and bring him into his own inner circle. Now, it is thought that there were several psalms composed by David at this time of his experience. We see him at the top of the mount. He's worshipping God. Verse number 32 of 2 Samuel 15. It came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount, where he worshipped God. This is very likely. It's not surprising that David may well have penned several psalms and prayed those psalms on the top of the mount as he worships God. Certainly, I think we do see that in this time of David's experience, he has drawn close to his God. David has, again, had a checkered story in the previous number of months and years, but now we find him enjoying fellowship with the Lord. It is entirely possible that the Psalm 55 is one of those Psalms penned at this time in David's life story. Look at verse 12 and 14, 12 through 14 of this particular psalm. Well, go back even further there, you see verse number 9, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Again, is it not very possible that he's describing what's happening in Jerusalem at the time when Absalom is, is building up a numbers of those who are seeking to oppose David's rightful rule? And then down in verse number 12, it says, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. It was, verse 13, a man, mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. And so there are those scholars who suggest that, who's in, that the man involved here is indeed Ahithophel. It may well be this psalm is a reflection on Ahithophel's defection. And if that is the case, then it opens our eyes to some of the beneficial application. It does help, does it not? When you see the psalm, when you see the context historically in which the psalm may well have been written, we understand it with more insight into what is going on in David's life. Now, when you get down to verse number 22, which is the most famous verse in this psalm, it simply says, cast thy burdens upon the Lord. There is a command there to the worshiper, to the reader, to the singer of this psalm. And it is likely that this exhortation is coming from David out of his own personal testimony. So it may well be he's penned some of this psalm at one point and then perhaps adds a verse at the end. And as he reflects upon his experience of God's grace, he then can say to all those who sing, cast thy burden upon the Lord. It's like what we see in the New Testament, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so 
we sing this psalm and we're telling each other, cast your burden upon the Lord. It may well be that David is coming to us hundreds of years later and saying, in light of what I learned at this time, here's what you ought to do. I learned so much, and I'm telling you now from experience, inspired experience here, I'm telling you now to cast your burden upon the Lord. In other words, verses 1 through 21 give us an insight into what casting our burdens looks like. The words encourage us in our faith. Faith when we are suffering from the hands and the sins of others. Faith when the will of God is opposed. I just want to give you four words to hang your thoughts on this afternoon. It's four very simple thoughts, and we'll move through them very, very quickly. First of all, there is the word suffering. This burden that's mentioned in verse number 22 is a burden of human suffering. Suffering that, first of all, is painful. Verse 2, attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Verse 4, my heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Sometimes as Christians, we are slow to verbalize the depth of our sorrow in a particular trial. You might come to church like this, and you may come and your heart is broken. You have this, this tremendous weight of pain upon your soul. And you come to church and you might think to yourself, well, if I was to express how I feel right now, people may not believe that I believe. They may think I've lost faith in God. They may presume that perhaps I've, I've, I've just abandoned my confidence in God's sovereignty. If I say I feel pain, well, then perhaps they'll judge me for, for thinking that I don't believe that God's in control. And that God's kind and good. And so we're, we're slow to verbalize our expressions of our pain. We need to stop that. We need to not be embarrassed to put into words how we feel. And perhaps maybe not to our fellow brothers and sisters, but certainly before the Lord, we can express clearly how we feel before God. You see, what you see here in this psalm is David expressing the pain of his suffering in a way that is not consistent with genuine faith. This is not an unbeliever bringing words of complaint. It's very clear, verse 16, As for me, I will call upon God. Verse number 23, I will trust in thee. He's bringing his complaints to God as one who trusts in God, not from unbelief, but from the confidence that God is willing to hear his cries. And so he's praying and complaining in faith. This is not the murmuring, the grumblings of the people of God in the wilderness. This is of a different nature. This is not a man of God doubting God. This is a man of God simply being transparent and open as to the pain that he's suffering at this time. David's heart is broken, painful. It's personal, also personal. Note in our verses, in the early verses, and again, verse 1 and following, note how often the word my and I occur. And then you get down to verse number 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord. Again, sometimes, sometimes in our pain, we have this tremendous sense of isolation. And the burden's all encompassing and we realize what it is that really belongs to us in a very personal way. It's... It's a very troubling experience. 
we have to acknowledge when we bring these complaints to God with the eyes and the eyes, we must acknowledge that the Lord deals with us individually. And that your burdens are not my burdens and my burdens aren't your burdens. We all have our own personal situations to go through. And again, it's right and proper that we deal with God individually and personally. Thirdly, this suffering, it's painful, it's personal, and it's also perilous. And here I'm drawing upon the word used in verse number 22. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. That word moved has a sense of to totter, to shake, or to slip. If you imagine a scenario where you're walking down through your, uh, your dining area perhaps and you happen to kick the table on the way past or you bang your knee and after you exclaim the pain of banging your knee, you then notice on the table there's a glass and it begins to shake. That's the word here, this, this tottering of the glass. Will it steady? Will it fall? Will it go over? What's going to happen next in this situation? That's what's in view here, the tottering there's a sense of we're not quite sure what the outcome might be. And that's what David's dealing with here. Now the promise, of course, is that God will not allow the righteous to fall over, to totter to the point that they slip and fall. But the issue is this, that in the pain and the personal sufferings at this time, there is peril upon the believer's soul, as it were. Bonner he makes this idea that moved has the constant of being tossed about forever. This idea of falling to ultimate eternal damnation. Now God is the one who gives us burdens. But the warning here is that we must not respond wrongly to those burdens. The reality is that when the burdens and the sufferings come, the righteous are being moved. They're being moved about, but God will not suffer them, allow them to fall over. That's a promise. But we should acknowledge the danger that when you're confronted with personal suffering, like David was here, there's a crisis point, and it's a crisis and a battle for your faith. And I take you back to the wilderness wanderings. And those who complain, not like David, but those who complain in the wilderness, they're in God's sovereign care. But they could not enter in because of what? Because of unbelief. And so when the wilderness wanderings come, if we respond in unbelief, we fall over. There's danger in our sufferings. And so the burdens that come from God must drive us to our knees. That we express humbly the personal pain that we're going through. But that we would do so living by faith and not in unbelief. Suffering. Secondly, sovereignty. Now here the word burden is interesting. I was looking back in my notes and actually during the, the COVID times of an online prayer meeting, I preached in this psalm in one of the online Skype calls. And I think at that point I emphasized this word burden because it's a very interesting word in the original. It has, it's connected to the idea for gift. It's a gift. And so some people, they translate the verse this way, cast your gifts upon the Lord. Give God the offering of your gifts. Well, whilst the word can mean that, it doesn't sit well with the promise that follows. Oh yes, God will sustain and supply, and so therefore will give us gifts. But the warning here, or the promise here, is that God will keep us from falling. Hence, 
The translators of authorized version rightly use the word burden because the word burden can have this idea of a burden. It doesn't only mean gift. But I think the point is very simple. David is making the point that even our burdens are gifts from God. Hebrew language is very, very pictorial. And so you get these ideas, and they they will often say an awful lot in the language, the words that they use. And here you've got this sense, well, how can this gift be a burden? Because of the understanding in Jewish thought before God, that even our very burdens come as gifts from the Lord. If you're answering that thought and saying to yourself, well, I didn't ask for this gift. Sometimes we have gifts, we think, well, it's not a very welcome gift. We've got to challenge ourselves by asking the question, can we say that any gift from God is unwelcome? Is anything that God gives us something that we should despise and reject? God is always good. Thou art good and doest good to the psalmist. He always does what he does without evil, and he always does what he does for the best of his people. Pick your burden. It's been given to you by God. Even the sins of others, like this psalm, are given to us by the Lord for our good. They are God's good gifts in our lives. Think of Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people will not be afraid, and shall there be evil in the city, and the Lord have not done it? That was part of God's good gifts to the people to cause them to come to repentance. God bringing evil upon the city for their good. And that extends this beyond the individual here. Again, you've got to remember, this psalm is dealing with suffering and God's sovereignty and suffering. But remember the setting. David is fleeing from Absalom. The will of God is not being done, and the kingdom of God is under threat. The true kingdom. Remember we saw last week? Who's the true king? David, not Absalom. The will of God is under threat. And so David is bringing that burden to the Lord. And that's why this came to my mind for this afternoon. We're about to pray very soon. And we're about to pray for the work of God. The work of God that is vulnerable and under threat. And that must be a burden upon our souls. But even those burdens that come in the life of the church are given to us by God for our benefit. Sometimes we look at our small churches struggling to survive. We see our missionaries and they're, they're struggling to see the work go forward. And they, they bring burdens. We are like David and we're leaving Jerusalem and we think, we look back and we say, the right way's back there. What's happening today? This is not, doesn't feel right. And the burden is great. So we must bring that burden to the Lord. It's in God's sovereignty. And in God's sovereignty, it drives us to our knees personally, individually, in our families, but also in the wider work of the Lord. Sovereignty. Thirdly, supplication. Verse 22 tells us we're to cast our burden upon the Lord. It's a metaphor for prayer. It means to throw. It means what it says. Throw your burden on the Lord. But here, please remember that verse 22 is very likely the application of David's actions. So rather than wondering, what does it look like to cast our burdens upon the Lord? We should look at the psalm. David is saying, I've cast my burden upon the Lord. This is what I did. 
That's what you should do. He's not imagining that burdens disappear. Again, you know, you go to some of the psychological helps that are found in the world. They will give you self-help tips that sound an awful like casting your burdens. I've read books. You get this idea. Imagine picking up your troubles. Just close your eyes. Shut your eyes. Meditate for a while. and Imagine yourself gathering your burdens into your arms. And then walk to the seaside in your mind. This is imaginary self-help stuff. And you, you bring your burdens to the seaside and you throw them into the sea. And don't you feel the release and the benefit of those burdens being thrown into the sea? No. <laughs> no, not really. But that's the way that some self-help people think. And tragically, some of that mindset has come into people's prayer lives. And they've got this idea, oh, I'm just going to throw them at my, my burdens. They won't belong to me anymore. They're still your burdens. Some of the way we describe these things is not helpful. See, what's happening here is not that David is convinced the burden will go from him. Rather, he knows that God will supply his needs in the trial and under the burden. He will be released from it, but it takes a long time. His is the conviction of Isaiah 41. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The burdens. God sustaining us in the burdens. And so this idea is not that the burdens will cease to exist, but that God is able to keep us in our burdens. Two things very particularly. As we cast our burdens upon the Lord, David prays explicitly against the troublemakers. Put it more generally, he prays against the cause of the burden. He prays for God to deal with the problem. Sometimes we we are slow to do that. Look at verse number 9. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues. I have seen violence and strife in the city. Then on down, verse Number 15, let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. He's identifying the cause of the trouble and he prays against them. That's not wrong. I think of the life of the church and there are sometimes in the life of the church there are those who are actively working against the the health of the church. It may be the mission field and there are those who are opposing the missionaries in their work And so we we cast our burdens upon the Lord. What does that look like? It looks like praying against those who are against the Lord's work. Lord, deal with them. See them. Remove them. Whatever you must do. Not prescribing how God does it, but simply saying, Lord, this is my burden. Deal with it. He does so in trust, understanding God's sovereignty. He's not demanding a time scale. He's not suggesting this should happen or that should happen. But he's still explicitly saying... Deal with the problem. It's part of what it is to cast your burdens upon the Lord. But the second thing also is he prays for God to uphold him in the troubles. Verse 16. As for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. And here's the confidence. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah. 
So what's happening here? Well, in part, he's arguing from God's blessing in the past, but he's also so confident that he shall be delivered. It's this idea of praying with what's known as the prophetic past tense. God will hear my cries. He will deliver me. But note, he hath delivered my soul in peace. But he understands that that deliverance may be long in the waiting. And in the meantime, he's going to cry unto God. Please note verse 17. Casting your burden upon God does not mean, as some say, praying once and that's it. You heard that idea? That if you've got to pray for the same burden twice, you mustn't have prayed in faith to begin with? Why then pray evening and morning and at noon? Why repeat the same prayers on the same day? Always casting the burden upon the Lord. The burden's there. And you keep taking the burden to God. Deal with it. And Lord, as long as you won't deal with the burden, give me the grace to persevere in the midst of this burden. That's what's involved here. And so don't take verse 22 and draw it in some sort of self-help thing or some under... Uh, some uh, hyper-spiritual understanding of this. This is a constant battle that David is facing here. And he's constantly battling with the Lord at his side. The supplication is not once and done. The supplication is continually his exercise in this trial of faith. So suffering, sovereignty, supplication. Finally, one last word. It is the word security. Verse 22. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. We can cast our burdens on the Lord because we know that he shall sustain us. He cares for us. That word sustain is precious. Again, it's one of these picture type Old Testament words. It has the sense of the word for nourish. It's the words of God to Jacob when he's going to Egypt. And there will I nourish thee. As we have our burdens... Our burdens come without God for one second impoverishing us. Sometimes we look at the burdens and we presume that as a burden is there, therefore we must, we must be losing out in some way. But the point here is that in the midst of the burdens, God will nourish us and sustain us and strengthen us. Thus, He will never allow us to be lost. He will never suffer the rights to be moved finally not like those who are wicked and are taken to the pit of destruction, verse number 23. God has, if you like, invested in us. He's given His Son for us. He sent His Spirit to redeem us. Having put so much into our spiritual well-being, It is unthinkable for God to withdraw his hand from us in the midst of our trials. He's done so much for us. He will sustain us and will never suffer us to be moved. David climbs the mount and worships God as he leaves Absalom and flees from the city. It's going to be a little while before he's back in the city. The burden is not going to quickly be removed. But in it all, he lives by faith. I will trust in thee. And we'll see that in the days to come in our studies of David.